Allison, you're from the Niagara region. And a few years ago, uh, living in the area, you're working locally, raising your family, and involved in some meaningful ways in your community as well. How did the battle against global child poverty come to your attention? And what led you to be willing to become active in that? Wow. You know, it's a story that I lived through. And yet every time I think back and go, how did this happen? You know, the best answer I can come up with is that, you know, God woke me up from my slumber, um, you know, opened doors for these faithful steps for me to take and kind of led me on this path uh, that led me to where I am now. Um, More practically speaking, is I was uh, participating in Southridge's Global Action Plan. And I don't know, do we have that still now? Or? We're developing a new one. You are? Okay, yeah. good. We should probably chat more about that after. But um, the Global Action Plan in its day was an opportunity for me to journey with a small group and to really uh, wrestle through our global understanding of just kind of the state of the world. Uh, we did a lot of internal soul-seeking on how God created us and uh, the different resources that we had. But most specifically for me is I was reading a book with my small group called Hope Lives. And God really used that uh, resource to, to shake my, uh, my world, to um, open up my eyes to understand my own privilege and the reality that my family lived in, but more significantly, the reality, the reality of those outside of my family and my immediate circle of influence. And specifically at the end of that book, it was actually written by a Compassion staff member, Uh, And at the end of the book, she had this really kind of passive, you know, if you're looking to make one step, I would encourage you to sponsor one child. And Compassion at the time was an organization that I really knew nothing about other than how she shaped my understanding through this resource. But I decided to, we as a family, take that one faithful step and sponsor one child. Would you tell us more about the about the child that you sponsored and, and what came out of that? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Great question. So we sponsored a little boy named Jimmy from Ecuador. And we were fortunate enough that within a few months, my husband Tommy was given the opportunity to travel to Ecuador with Southridge and to um, kind of see the work that Compassion was doing there. And they surprised him. And uh, he had the opportunity to meet our sponsor child, Jimmy, and his parents. And... Uh, That was just a really pivotal moment in my husband's life and therefore our family's story. And he came back home to me and basically said, you know, you know how God is, we sense that God is calling us out of the boat and he's calling us to be advocates for children. I sense that the vehicle by which we will live out this calling on behalf of children is compassion. And I don't know what that looks like specifically, um, but we need to figure this out. And, you know, in hindsight, he was calling me into full-time vocational ministry at Compassion. But quite literally, you know, my vocation now was started with this little boy, Jimmy, and the way that God used him in my husband's life and uh, the way that that kind of shaped and molded our path going forward. Um, you're, even as you're speaking just now, you're using some of the language of, of waking up. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that, we're, we're, at the moment, we're using a resource which you very much helped to develop, which is the Eyes to See book, which we're really appreciating as a community. And um, in that same vein, uh, what would you say that you've been given eyes to see in your relationship with Jimmy and the things that you've been exposed to that you were blind to prior to your relationship with sponsored children and with the global church? Yeah, such a good question. You know, well, I would say this awakening for me was um, this sense 
that God has really given myself, my husband, my family a lot. And we had been given not just resources, but influence and skills and um, uh, power and time and health, and that at the time we were being quite selfish with it. And so I had this kind of altruistic desire to use or to steward, if you will, what I've been given on behalf of other people. And so it was very much a, I have something to offer the other. Mm -hmm. And over time, most significantly through my relationship with our sponsor child, but definitely as I've traveled around the world, I've come to be confronted head on with what I would say is the poverty of the non-poor. And certainly that has been the case in my own life. And so um, Brian Fickard in his book, When Helping Hurts, talks about poverty as broken relationships. And when sin entered the world, it also brought in this um, poverty in our relationship, or uh, sorry, broken relationship with God and with ourselves and with others and with the created world around us. And that, to me, has been something that has become more and more true as I've um, understood my own world and the way that I orient myself to those around me. So I would say my eyes have been open to uh, my poverty of being, that I am, and I would suggest humbly that we as a society tend to be quite individualistic. Uh, we tend to have a little bit of pride, you know, based on our socioeconomic status or our culture or our pedagogy or education system, our economic system. Um, and I've come to see that as a real deficit in my own life, this sense of pride and ego um, and individualism. I would have related to that this poverty of community that uh, in light of our pace of life, I would say, here in Canada, uh, the way we tend to focus on those closest to us, those most like us, then we uh, lose out on the opportunity to learn from the other, to do life with the other, to depend on the other. Um, I've come to realize a poverty of um, stewardship that I have, that I am still, you know, six years into this awakening and I still struggle with materialism, consumerism, uh, my consumption habits that are more narrowly focused on my needs and ignoring the uh, implications for those around the world. And I would say um, a poverty of spiritual intimacy that because we are just so self-sufficient, because I am so self-sufficient and I'm not reliant or dependent on God for my literal daily bread, I lose the opportunity to rely on him and depend on him um, in a way that, that holds me back. And so that reality has um, become true in my life as I've engaged with those who are not like me, engaged with those who have different forms of poverty, but certain different form, certainly different forms of um, assets and gifts and richness in their life. So in light of your understanding or growing understanding of poverty in your own life and a changing understanding of what poverty looks like, um, how do other people um, come to that same awareness in their own lives as well? Mm, great question. You know, for me, it, my eyes would have never been opened in the way that they have to my own poverty, as you said, if it wasn't for the context of relationship. There's this need for proximity to those who are different than you in order for you to grow in areas that you would never be aware that you even need growth in. 
you know, certainly you and I are talking about the context of poverty, but it plays out in many ways. It plays out with different cultures, different genders, different age groups. When we talk about mentorship, I think we need to be a lot more intentional about building relationships with people who are different than us so that they can continually be used by God to open up our eyes to our own blinders or barriers or um, assets, gifts, opportunities. Um, that comes through community and relationship. Compassion as an organization grew from humble beginnings, um, starting with little over $1,000 to be able to somehow help children in Korea to where we're at right now, um, where nearly 2 million children are being sponsored and they're being helped to be released from poverty as well as releasing future generations from the same. Uh, over the decades, what has allowed compassion to thrive? You know, admittedly, it may sound like a little bit of a Sunday school answer. You know, the answer is Jesus. Um, but it is only by the grace of God and the way that he has been uh, creating these divine appointments for us over the years. You know, it wasn't just this, um, our founder, Everett Swanson is his name, being moved with compassion by what he saw in Korea. But he came back to Chicago and he was prompted to tell this story to a complete stranger. That stranger had a check in their pocket, a blank check, that God had told them, when someone comes to you to talk about the opportunity to care for the plight of um, orphans of war, I want you to write this check. And so it was a complete stranger, but in hindsight, a divine appointment that God ordained that would birth uh, this ministry that we now know as Compassion. And so we've seen him moving in and through this ministry over the years, and we would recognize that it's really not even about Compassion, the organization. It's about uh, Compassion joining God in uh, his movement to advance his kingdom, uh, joining God in advancing the reach of his church, uh, joining God in his mission of justice and compassion going forth in our world. And so we would recognize that God has started this mission, God has been sustaining this mission, and that God has called us as Compassion, the organization, to serve him by stewarding this mission. And so um, I'm with you. I celebrate the growth that we have seen and every single child that has been released from poverty in Jesus' name. Uh, but I am also uh, struck by the reality that while we are serving 2 million children living in poverty, there are still 400 million children living in extreme poverty. And so in many ways, you know, our work has just started and we um, are working tirelessly again, to serve the rest of the children living in poverty. The other thing on a more macro level, you know, when we talk about organizational dynamics or organizational complexities, would be that compassion would self-identify less so as a global organization, but more so as a transnational organization. And it sounds like semantics, but actually there's some really pivotal differences between the two. So uh, global organizations would, of course, have their hand or their footprint in many different um, countries around the world. But their country of origin or their founding country would be uh, where the decisions are made. Uh, their culture would kind of dominate the decisions that are made in other contexts and in other cultures. Whereas transnational would be um, a way that we operate and orient, orient ourselves where it's less so about uh, where we orient from or where we come from, but it's more about leveraging the local relationships and the local knowledge in every single country that we work in. 
And that has been a really intentional choice for compassion to say, no, this is no longer about this North American rooted large NGO making programmatic or marketing changes or choices for the rest of the world. But it is about all of our staff from all of our countries coming together to first seek God's direction for our organization and to leverage the unique insights, knowledge, relationships um, that would better inform our organization and better inform our choices. It's amazing that Compassion has the awareness to be able to um, empower communities in, in other parts of the world to be able to allow the children to speak up for themselves and their families and they themselves to shape what's good for the children that they know the best. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful that we get the opportunity to, to learn from that as well because of that. Uh, what are some of the things that we as, uh, as church community in North America can be learning from some of our global church partners? Yeah, you know, I was just at some meetings in Colorado Springs with four, about 400 leaders from over 40 countries. And we were spending time really wrestling through um, the state of the church and the state of our program and what our next priorities should be. And I remember sitting at a table with a gentleman from the Dominican Republic and uh, around this table were quite a few folks from North America. And we were talking about something related to our model. And this gentleman spoke up and said, I got to be honest, um, can I tell you guys something? And I said, yeah. And he said, it's so interesting to me how you separate kind of the church being on at this time and the church being off at this time, or the church having programs at this time and the church not at this time. And he's like, the church is just always available in my country. The church is a literal and physical place of refuge at all times where people come when they need prayer, where people come to you know, get away from the physical environment if it's raining. It's where they come to hang out and be in relationship. And ever since that, I've been wrestling, and I don't have the answer, but have been wrestling through what does it look like for us as Southridge or for us as the Canadian church to be available and accessible as the church on kind of a day in, day out, 24-7, you know, reality. Um, you know, a, a lot of that has to do with this spirit of hospitality and the ability to invite others into our daily going, our daily being, our daily living. And so that hospitality piece, I would feel like, is a very specific one for us to learn from our brothers and sisters in the developing world. One question that I would ask that relates to this, but um, speaks of it on more of a, of a macro level, are what are the ways that you're seeing um, the under-resourced churches, which Compassion partners which, with, which we have the opportunity to partner with around the world, how are they becoming global influencers um, of the church as a whole? Really, specifically speaking, I'm encouraged because I am seeing more and more churches in North America um, asking, quite frankly, to learn from those in the developing world. They are inviting them to come and teach them. They are inviting them to events and conferences where in the past, you know, we as nonprofit leaders, most definitely North American nonprofit leaders, we would be called to speak on their behalf. But more and more, they're saying, let's talk to the pastors. Let's talk to the practitioners. Let's talk to people living in that context and see what we can learn from them. Uh, it's also been an exciting year in Compassion's ministry. 
because one of the children who grew up being a compassion sponsor child in the context of extreme poverty has become uh, the national director of Compassion DR, Compassion Dominican Republic. His name is Tony Beltran. And it's been amazing to, you know, hear his story and to see how God, you know, took him from a little boy living in extreme poverty to now influencing the church in his country to love and serve the poor. You know, that is the first time in our history that we've had that full circle, full circle story. Um, and yet it's not uncommon to encounter all kinds of stories of children who once lived in poverty that are now influencers and leaders in their communities or in their countries. Um, I was in Rwanda on a filming trip, and you know we made the mistake of not getting a filming permit in advance. Uh, you know you don't always need these permits, but once we got there, they insisted, yeah, we need to go to the local consulate and uh, apply for it. And so we got there, and uh, we were having this conversation, and they were admittedly quite skeptical of us. Uh, it was not a very warm and inviting conversation having these Westerners come in with cameras and want to tell stories in their country. And at one point they said, we have to go get our boss. And just the way they were talking about their boss, you were going, okay, this is a person of authority. This is a person who's going to kind of lay down the law for us. And so this gentleman walks in, most definitely carried himself as a person of authority. And he sits down and we start telling kind of who we are and what our heart is. And he just gets this smile on his face. And he starts telling us that he was a former compassion-sponsored child and told us about his upbringing and you know the forces that he was up against and yet there he is now you know a leader in the local government influencing change in his country so we have handfuls hundreds of stories like that there's just so many incredible stories um, that just have come out of the relationship that compassion just is facilitating the various relationships that are happening around the world and just um, we can't even begin to touch on them all but one of the the great things is that we have the opportunity to tap into this ourselves as individuals and as a community and one of the best ways and, and one of the the first ways that we can do that is through Compassion's Child Development Sponsorship Program. Allison, how does the Child Development Sponsorship Program work? So as I said, it's important to understand there are two components to this program. There's um, the raising of funds through uh, a donor here in Canada, through someone who says yes to supporting a child in need. And then there's the programmatic work that we do, which is the Holistic Child Development Program. So I think what makes Compassion so unique and what's important to understand is just how much we know these kids and just how much time we spend with these kids. So they come to their local church uh, multiple times a week and spend time with tutors and mentors and staff who will um, teach them Bible stories, will pray with them, uh, will help them with their homework, will ensure that they have nutritious meals to eat, um, we do health checkups on them. We help them with vocational skills and uh, good hygiene habits and so on and so forth. And so the opportunity for these kids to be invested in by local individuals, which by the way, I didn't touch on this earlier, but local individuals who look like them, who come from the same communities as them, you know, who would in many senses have faced the same challenges of as they are, but has overcome that for those people to be invested in them and walking alongside them is remarkable. Uh, but we could never do that without the loving sponsor on this side 
who um, doesn't just invest in the child financially, but writes letters, you know, prays for them, uh, speaks into their life, sends them pictures, shares our own life. You know, really practically, what the Compassion Program does also through the letter writing and relationship is allows kids to hone their writing skills, to hone their communication skills, to open up their eyes to uh, uh, the realities in different parts of the world, how other people live. Also, we love any opportunity that sponsors can go and meet their child, can go and just you know, express their love in person, and as is often the case, uh, learns more about themselves and is challenged more in their own way of being by spending time in that context and with that child. It's awesome that there's that opportunity to not only uh, realize that the children are just getting really holistic development, but that Compassion is actually specifically asking and the local partners are specifically asking for more interaction, to be more a part of the story from our end. That it's not just you let that happen and, and appreciate that it's happening, but it's would you please also invest relationally? And that sounds like an amazing opportunity for the community. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other ways um, that Compassion has opened the door for us to be able to be a part of some of these relationships and a part of this incredible story is through the child survival programs. Um, I feel that the, the very name is a bit of an indicator, mm -hmm. but what's the significance of the child survival programs yeah. of which Southridge is taking part? So child survival, as you said, as the name indicates, is the most urgent of uh, needs of anything that we do and is the literal life and death for these moms and these babies. You know, being pregnant in the context of extreme poverty means you often don't have access to clean water, to, you know, the vitamins that you need, access to a doctor who can ensure that mom and baby remain healthy. And so one of the leading causes of death um, for children in the developing world is the childbirth process and is those early, early days of life where they need to have um, you know, access to mom's healthy breast milk, where they need to be checked medically and ensure that, you know, their, their heart is strong. And so the work that we do through the Child Survival Program is to care for kids in the womb and shortly after the womb to ensure that they just survive. And then after that, uh, once they are one years old, they move into our child development program, which allows us to work with them to ensure that they can then thrive. But it is literally that survival of both mom and uh, baby. It's incredible that um, through this, through the relationship with Compassion, that folks from our community at Southridge get to be a part of not only children literally surviving, but making it into the opportunity to then be able to thrive in a in a developing in a developmental program um, with all the things that are identified to best serve them in their context. Yeah, it's one of the things that I love about what Southridge is doing. And not all of our church partners, you know, have the same approach. I wish they would. But where they really rally around child survival corporately and say, you know, we want to invest in this urgent need in this community, but then um, encourage individuals to sponsor not just a child, but those children, those children that we literally had, I say we, because I'm still part of the Southridge family, very much in my mind, but that we as a community had a tangible, practical part in saving their life and ensuring that they even hit that first birthday so that they can then develop and grow further and be used by God in their communities. So the fact that Southridge does both, I think, is just such a beautiful approach. As we um, discussed just the opportunity for, for our community just to continue to, to grow in our relationship with these 
um, with these other church communities in other parts of the world that, that Compassion's facilitating. Um, do you have any final words for our community of, of aspiring global missionaries um, from the Southridge community? Two very different thoughts, perhaps. But it's interesting, as you were talking, for some reason, the words of one of my professors at Fuller Theological Seminary just popped into my mind. And it was in this kind of lifelong development class where we were just talking about how we can continue to be open to be used by God. And he said, really, the calling of a Christ follower is to ask two main questions every day. How can I be a life-giving presence in the place that God has called me? And secondly, what is my next faithful step? So how can I you know, be a part of advancing God's kingdom in the place that, I, that he has called me, which in today's reality, you know, in light of uh, the global world that we live in, has local and global implications? And then what is my next faithful step? How is he calling me to engage deeper, to grow further, to give more, to pray differently, um, to engage the world with a new lens on? Um, so I would challenge them with that. Ask those two questions. Because in case it wasn't clear at the onset of this interview, you know, I did not wake up one day and certainly decide I want to be a nonprofit CEO or, um, you know, that God all of a sudden just opened this door for me. And it's not even about that. But it was about all kinds of small daily choices that God used to challenge my thinking, to grow my faith, uh, to bring me into deeper dependency with him, to grow my sense of community that at the time just felt like small steps forward. And it's not until for all of us, we start looking back. For mine, it's been a six-year in particular journey that we go, well, God really has um, taken me places that are just the culmination of these small daily choices. And I think that's the case for all of us, is we can start to look back and see how God was moving. And so I would encourage you to be present, be open, be faithful, take that next step forward and see how God is going to work in your life and through your life. So mutuality to me is recognizing that we all have assets and we all have needs and that we all have something to give and that we all have something to receive. And it requires this posture of humility to recognize that we are all in need of God's transforming power in our life. And we are all dependent on him to continue um, to grow us and shape us and to mold us. So I would you know, challenge our church community that as we think about engaging in you know, the needs of the poor or engaging in uh, the global needs as we see them, that we maintain this posture of humility that recognize, recognizes that on the one front, we must be responsible and steward what God has given us, but that we also have needs and deficiencies and weaknesses, and that we are dependent on God and dependent on the other, those we are in relationship with to mold us and shape us further. I think that's amazing. And that gives us a great word in regards to the posture that we need to be able to assume uh, before God and in light of the, the global community, and also very tangible action steps that it's up to us to be able to make those daily choices, to put ourselves in that position to be able to receive what it is that God has for us and what God has for the global church. And I really appreciate you bringing that up. 
thank you so much for uh, this time together. I just really, we're really excited for the new season that you have coming up um, as you assume your position as uh, president of Compassion Canada. And we're just so thankful for the partnership that we have here uh, in our hopes that we can continue to grow and learn more about what it means to each and every one of us in the Southridge community be a part of this global conversation and story. I just want to let you know that, uh, first of all, I love you and I miss you uh, so much. And once I have now been removed from the Southridge community, I have realized afresh just how much you all meant to me, so many of you individually and certainly collectively, uh, the church as a whole. And it is not lost on me, I've said this to um, the pastors of the church before, but it is not lost on me the way that God has used our community to really impact my life. And now, as I move forward, as you said, into this new position, to impact even more lives uh, here in Canada and around the world. And so I'm just so thankful to every single one of you for the way that you have poured into me. Since I was 19 years old, I started going to Southridge. And so just know how much you mean to me. And I appreciate you so much.